yeah, if something bad happens and you spend 20 bucks on a life insurance policy, like that's the best thing you can do your, for your family, right? So it, all the additional cash and long-term care and all the additional benefits and infinite banking is awesome, right? But at the end of the day, if you don't protect your family, I mean, what are you doing? Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, joined as usual by the founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement, Zach Lee Master. And we are joined by one of the Rent to Retirement team members. This is Chris Reed. He's a chartered financial consultant, and we are going to talk about everyone's favorite topic today, and that is insurance. So, Chris, thanks for joining us again. Favorite and most exciting topic. Yes, hundred. Well, TC Zach, he's he's already got the round ready to go. Second to taxes. Okay, second taxes, to taxes. and then insurance. So I'm going to try and spice up insurance by talking about leverage today. Leverage yeah. insurance. So go. we talk a lot whenever we talk about real estate. We talk about leverage. We talk about you know running out of capital and how important it is to you know that is the limiting factor in everybody's thing. Now I have to be honest. You mentioned this and it didn't seem like something I'd ever heard before. And so you talked about leveraging with your insurance policy, which sounds not real. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you were talking about whenever you mentioned that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you start with the basic chassis of a cash value life insurance policy, and I understand, like when I first got it, I had to read a whole book and, and I had my guy show me how to set my policy up. And I kind of went, oh, that seems too good to be true. And it's kind of weird. But really, when you just break it down at the end of the day, especially for real estate investors, getting our hands on money, because I love real estate. I love investing in real estate. And getting our hands on money is always like that's a need that we have. So if you try and just break it down simple in your mind that cash value life insurance is nothing more than a hybrid product. If you die, it's gonna pay. When you don't die and you live, you're just essentially creating a tax-free bucket of money that you can borrow against for your, for your own purposes. So you're essentially building up your own bank account that you can just dip into, pull money out, go to real estate deals, and then you can pay yourself back or not. It gets kind of technical and wonky, but I mean, essentially that's the basic chassis of a cash value life policy. Um, Obviously, there's a lot more to it. You got to go through what type you want, how to structure it, and all that kind of thing. But leveraged uh, leveraged policies is just another way to arbitrage and really try and maximize what you're doing into your life insurance policy. A uh, little more risk. Obviously, anytime we're doing leverage, right, we're taking on a little bit of risk there, but the rewards can be pretty significant. So, Chris, let's back up just a sec here because you, you took us through a journey that if someone is um, – and I know this stuff's like second nature to you, but it's probably not for, for most everyone else. So when you talk about a, when you made the statement on a hybrid product, you're talking about, okay, we're talking about life insurance for one, right. which yep. you, you have to, in the event that, that you die, um, which we all have a tendency to do okay. at some point yep. <laughs> that, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have a death benefit paid to your family. Um, but when you, you can do more than just, just that, which would be, um, setting up one type of many policies out there where you can um, actually like have a cash value aspect associated with that you can borrow from to make investments, but also still have the death benefit aspect. Is, did I paraphrase that correctly or? You totally did. Yeah. And I really try and analogize it to just another asset class. And I go so far as like my cash value life policy 
like I can log in and look at my self-directed 401k and there's an account value, right? Whatever that is. And you can log into your IRA, your Roth IRA, and you see an account value. When I log into my life insurance policy, I see an account value of usable cash. So it's just really kind of like in your matrix of logins that you have, your Schwab's, Fidelity's, 401ks. Now I just add another another like access, like another bucket of cash that you can access for tax-free purposes. So what, just walk us through real quick. Why, why would someone do this? Um, like holistically, because it's a, it's just a really missed piece of people's overall in, investment portfolio. It's basically the most money you can make in the lowest risk investment. Like I like, I said, I love real estate, but if you get pot committed in real estate and real estate falls apart, right? Like that can really hurt your plans for you and your family and that kind of thing. So a cash value life policy is excellent for people who earn too much money to contribute to Roth. If the younger you are and the more money you make, the more you absolutely have to be creating tax-free wealth, because that's something that like uh, a traditional investment account or even real estate subject to capital gains or, you know, income tax can't do. Um, really the people you should do it if you have to build tax-free wealth and it's, you have to be diversified from an asset class standpoint. And so it's really just another tool in your toolbox to help you round out your financial portfolio. Let me just, uh, again, just go through the bullet points of like, okay, well, like, why would someone think about this? Um, like as from an investment standpoint, I think we all understand like life insurance is probably a good thing to have financially um, as just as part of your estate planning to take care of your, your family or and pay your expenses when, um, when your time here is done. But like, well, like why would someone use, use the investment side of it and, or how could they make this a piece of their plan? Let me just bullet point the the benefits from my perspective and tell me if I'm wrong here, um, because I just I set up my personal policy with you. Like we literally did this this exact scenario, and I can talk about why it makes sense for me personally, um, but it needs to make sense for each individual. So there's the death benefit, right? You you die, you have this this sum of money. Um, what it depends on what your needs are, what you believe your needs are. That's that's for your family, right? So, but from the investment standpoint. Basically, what you can do is you can put in money to pay pay towards the death benefit to provide that service, but also essentially this is a way that you can put money into this is after tax dollars to put into a policy that will grow tax free right. um, in in the future that has pretty much uh, from what I understand a guaranteed minimum um, right. type of growth, so it has a baseline, so it's not super volatile, whether it's due to fluctuations in the market. Um, so those are important aspects to, to understand. Uh, it's growing at, uh, you know, not necessarily a guaranteed rate, but it has a guaranteed floor. But you can also then take that money out and be the bank against yourself, but still earn money on it by taking it out. So you're taking the loan out um, and you pay an interest rate um, by taking it out, but you're still having compound interest on the amount as if it was still invested growing. And Correct. so you, you put in the amount of capital to provide the death benefit and to provide the policy and to have tax-free growth. Yeah. You take the money out at some point in time, if this makes sense for you, to then go out and buy other assets. And so it's just like you're shuffling money around, but you're getting the death benefit, you're getting the tax-free growth and this, this baseline guaranteed growth of income. Um, and then you're going out and doing what you're doing regardless 
which is investing that money in real estate. Am I missing something? I mean, that's just how it makes sense in my mind, but. No, amen, that's really the best. That Yeah, that's like a very good rounded way to talk about it. Practically speaking, like the, so I'm expanding an adult family home that I own. I need some money because we're putting two new beds in. <laughs> and I was literally sitting at my, I just finished talking to someone about cash value life insurance. And I was sitting here kind of grinding my teeth over, where am I gonna get this money? Am I gonna go take out a line of credit? I have business lines of credit, I have other things. And I was, and I was thinking, man, I got to drive up to Chase Bank and they're going to give me 50 grand and I got to pay them back $55,000. And I went, hey, Chris Reed, you have a cash value policy with, you know, enough money in it. I can go borrow 50000 of my own dollars and pay myself back with interest. I would much rather give myself $5,000 of interest than go give it to Chase Bank. So it's really that, yeah, you're just essentially building up your own bucket of money that you can use. It's basically think of it like a living benefit is the cash. God forbid you die and you can't overlook the death benefit. A lot of guys on the internet are just pounding the cash table, cash, cash, cash. I'm a financial planner. I've managed millions of dollars of people's money. And if somebody dies in their earnings and stuff like I never don't talk about the death benefit because that's so important for families as well. You delivered those checks to the families, you know, that are in a dire time of need. Um, and, and just to be candid, not to speak too much about my own personal experience, like, like this all made sense to me. Yes, it took some extra steps and it's kind of like, it's kind of pain in the ass to go through the paperwork. <laughs> you know, like, like it takes time. As it's like, yeah, it wasn't as much. Loan. Yeah. It's the worst. It yeah. wasn't as much work as going through a loan underwriting, but it, it took some steps. Right. But like, and it made sense from the investment standpoint of like, I like being my own bank and, you know, I like earning interest on my money because I, I kind of equate this to like a HELOC a little bit as well, like being your own bank, yep. whereas we all kind of know money sitting in the bank is not the most best use of it. You know, you're better off spending or investing that money and then using right. things like uh, a HELOC or something like this as your bank to pay back or life insurance policy when you need to or make other investments like this is obviously what the wealthy do. Um, all sort of, this is one of many things. Um, because they understand it. So one, one you got to understand it first. And that's why advisors like you can can be the guide through this. But um, it just made sense to me from an investment standpoint. But at the end of the day, I'm looking at all the things we're doing. And it's like, this is just um, from a death benefit aspect. And, and maybe it hit home to me a little bit more because I this past year I've had two friends um, that passed away. Um, and they're both younger than me. And their their friends that passed away from cardiac arrest in their sleep had young families. Both of them had children that were had a um, baby that was under one year old, and uh, yeah. they had GoFundMe. These these families had GoFundMe pages and stuff. They did not have life insurance policies um, in place. But I'm just kind of thinking, oh my gosh, could you imagine? Um, and and you know we've done a lot of different investing, but it's like. Like that's also the why, right? Of what we're, we're trying to take care of the families. And so that aspect was really the driving force, even though I'm like, so like gung ho on doing smart things with money. Like this is a way for one tax benefit wise, but also just like the death benefit aspect to set up. And there's multiple different policies of, of life insurance you can set up, but probably something to right. consider in your overall, because if you're taking out loans and you're investing in different products, like that needs to be factored in, in your overall financial planning. I don't hear people call me and they spend 20 bucks on a term life insurance policy that I don't like, I don't, that's, that's a good thing to, you throw $20 a month out the window because yeah, I mean, we're at the age now, I guess 
right, where this is starting to happen to us. Um, you know, all our hair is starting to like creep one direction and then, yeah, if something bad happens and you spend 20 bucks on a life insurance policy, like that's the best thing you can do your, for your family, right? So it, all the additional cash and long-term care and all the additional benefits and infinite banking is awesome, right? But at the end of the day, if you don't protect your family, I mean, what are you even doing? Well, give us some illustrations. Um, uh, I just yeah. wanted to kind of walk through it, and I know that you're you're uh, a better person to actually explain this stuff and walk through it visually. So, like someone that's just new to learning about this, if we can help, kind of walk through the steps and um, like some visual aids of of how how people use this. Perfect. Yeah, I'll do that, and then I'll bring in that premium financing thing we were talking about, that leveraging tool. Um, so, um, Adam, I'm going to share my. Screen here, and if you're uh, if you're listening on the audio podcast, we're going to go over it as if you can see it. But I'll try to describe it. Yeah, if they're listening, they'll probably better off than having to see my childlike drawings here. So, um, can you see my whiteboard there, Adam? On the share, cool. So, I mean, essentially, what we're doing is right. You need a bucket of money, and we got to fill that money, or we got to fill that bucket up with money. So. You have your income source. You just find the end of the rainbow and boom. Right, yeah. So you have your income source up here or you have cash in the bank or whatever. And we want to put that money and we want that money to grow up and gain interest, right? So as this money grows up in here, essentially what a life insurance, a cash value life insurance policy is nothing more than this plus a death benefit, right? So as this, as this money grows up and up and up and we create more and more and more money, right? So now if we have $100,000 in our bucket and we have a duplex, right? We get two doors here, we wanna go buy. Well, if we need $50,000 to close on this, we can borrow 50,000 of our own dollars rather than borrowing it from, right? Uncle JP Morgan Chase and paying him back, we can take $50,000 out do this deal and then pay ourselves back that $50,000, right? Which you can still use this as a down payment too, right? So, I mean, you can still go out and get financing. Again, just like a HELOC, this is a tax-free way to access money to use as a down payment. And you can still get conventional financing in place um, as, as well. So, I mean, there's not a lot of places you can actually get a down payment this is your money to begin with. So you had, you had it, you just chose to cycle it a different way. Yep, yep. And the best part about this is, let's just say over a long enough period of time, our cost basis in this is 50, or I'm sorry, cost basis. The amount of money you put in was 50,000 bucks, right? So, but we have a $100,000 account value. Well, we've now made $50,000 of tax-free growth where there's no IRS limits on how much you can put in. You don't have to be 59 and a half to access it. You don't have to make under a certain amount of money in order to participate in this. Um, so that's where it really stands apart. Now there's drawbacks to be sure, and I could talk about those, but I mean, this is just kind of the general concept of infinite banking, building up your own wealth, and then God forbid something happens, the death benefit pays off and takes your family, so, or, and takes care of your family. So like in this instance, if you had a $500,000 death benefit, and something bad happens, the insurance company writes this check to your family, that $500,000. But again, most of us hopefully will live long and happy lives and we're really here 
to leverage and use that money to our advantage over here, building the life we want so that we can spend more time with our families, you know, check out work on a Friday a little bit early, not be stressed out thinking about money when we should be paying attention to like kids' soccer games and that kind of thing. That is a terrible looking duplex, I must say. <laughs> there's two doors, man. Look, it needs, like, it needs rehab. This, yeah. This, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty rehab. I'm not buying that house. <laughs> I actually, I had a lady in a town. Um, I did a policy for her four years ago, and she she took $30,000 out one year uh, yeah, for uh, a permit for King County because our sewer permit hookups are ridiculous in this county. And then the next year she took out $20,000 to like pay a contractor. So you can use it for whatever you want. It's just like, it's your own money. You just ACH it right to your bank account. Yeah. I had a friend who has an account like this, who told me one time, I mean, he borrows against it for real estate, but you know, they don't amortize it on these. It just has the payments, but he, he amortized it over 30 years. And he said one time he called him and said, Hey, what's the, you know, asked about the amortization on his loan and you know, how much do I have left? And they were just like, Sir, we have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, no. <laughs> you borrowed the money, and you're gonna have to pay it back at some point. It's not amortized over 30 years. Yeah, and you don't even, and you don't even have to honestly pay it back. Um, that lady who borrowed, she was too. I mean, it's an interesting story, but really, she shouldn't have even done one of these policies. She kind of forced me to write it for her, but she's taken out fifty thousand dollars, and she never has to pay it back. So. Um, but that's something I get more into if people want to get. Well, I mean, just, I mean, so if you make a statement like that, I mean, the reason you don't have to pay it back is like you, you have a fundamental amount that you have to pay into the policy to qualify for the policy. But once you've achieved that, right. You can stop paying into it and let it, letting it grow. Like my policy we set up, so we're going to pay into it for 10 years and then it's going to grow. We could have put all of that. Well, I don't We couldn't have put all the money into it year one but we could have shortened or extended that, that timeline to buy into right. it. Um, but when we borrow, basically like what happens, Chris, if you, you borrow that money, you don't pay it back. Like so, you're, you're paying interest on it. It's also still growing as if it was there right. in the account. Right. Yep. So, yeah. So this, this amount of money, your $50,000 loan that you took out, the reason why sometimes, and again, it's technical and you have to be careful how you do it, but, um, essentially what happens is even though you take that $50,000 out, the insurance company is still paying you a rate of return on that money based on the stock market. So if the stock market is up, let's just say 10% and the interest they're charging is 5%. And that's another thing. When I went to take my own loan out, now that interest rates are really high, it didn't really matter to me when interest rates were at zero, I could get cheap money anywhere. Now that interest rates are variables are 10, 11, 12%, I have a bucket with a guaranteed interest rate cap of 5%. The insurance company can never, it's contractual. If I own this policy for a hundred years, they can never charge me more than 5%. So that is better so, than your HELOC in this scenario. Oh my God, it's, I mean, what if interest rates stay at like double digits for a decade? I'm gonna have this bucket of money I can use at 5% for ever. Yeah. Um, like yeah. Yeah. It's killer. Uh, so anyway, so you pull the money out, they might charge you five, but if the, if the stock market does 10% and you get 10% interest on that loan money, you're actually arbitraging that loan to 5%. Now, if the stock market's flat or negative, you don't actually lose any money. You just wouldn't arbitrage that year. So you just wouldn't like make money on your loan money. Can you say. explain that a little bit? I think that's, that was a hard thing for me to understand. Like, 
so how, how is this a scenario where there's not guaranteed loss? Is it guaranteed loss of principal? Are you guaranteed a set amount of percentage of growth regardless of stock performance? Can you, can you? Well, both of those things are true. There's a minimum guaranteed interest rate of something like 2% or something like that. You'll never, you'll never experience that because now can you guys can see my chart or you still see my drawings? I will switch over to the chart. There okay. Yeah, so um, you have a guaranteed, so essentially the green line is the most advantageous kind of cash value life insurance you can have. I know everybody on the internet has an opinion. Mathematically speaking, you're gonna make the most money with the least amount of downside risk in the type that is indexed to the stock market. So essentially what they're doing is they're backstopping a majority. So if you have $100,000 in, in your bucket and the stock market goes up, you're gonna participate in the gains up to a certain percentage. And there's different mechanisms in there, but just understand that you may not capture all the upside, but you lock in and realize your gains every single year so that when the stock market goes down, you actually go sideways. So that's the power of locking in and realizing your gains in your insurance contract. Um, looking forward into my contract, when I'm 65 or 70, I'm gonna be able to be fully invested to the upside because there's no downside in the cash value. And if you're wondering how they do it, it's, it's if you understand options trading at all, they're just buying a majority, of, they're taking a majority of your, of your money and buying very safe securities like CDs, treasuries, bills, that kind of thing. And then they're leveraging that little bit that's left over for upside on options. That's a rabbit hole none of us here wanna get into. Um, so. Uh, truth. <laughs> yeah. Can you, all right. So basically you, you have a scenario where you have a guaranteed baseline of performance, even regardless of what the stock market is doing. So that's kind of like a safe, safer type of investment, but, um, yeah, it's just, again, this isn't something like you would put all your, and I think people get that you want to put all your money into, but is it worth putting a small percentage into something? Uh, you know, potentially, uh, and people that like the, the infinite banking concept of being your own bank, which certainly, you know, if, if done right, can, can have a lot of benefits, then, um, this is, this is something to explore. And then ultimately like, regardless, just providing that death benefit. But when does this not make sense? And specifically, cause it could be argued that everyone needs life insurance to some degree. Um, uh, you know, unless you live a life with no family and no debt, um, but anyway, I mean, even the, even then long-term care, like the chronic illness writers for long-term care, there's. Okay. Touche. So when does this, uh, when does this not make sense for some of you said there's some issues like, when would this not make sense or what are some potential issues with specifically cash value in, in this scenario? Uh, there's only two, like as a holistic financial plan, there's no, the only two reasons why people don't do this is that they can't afford or they can't qualify for it. If you don't have excess cash that you can deploy to put into a separate asset class, another bucket, and usually I take a look at people, but usually people are over contributing to their 401ks. They're putting in 22,000 a year, but they're bought, but they're only being matched to 6,000. And they're just basically locking that money up till they're 59 and a half. Yeah. Really which is worse. Um, it's not good for people who need money tomorrow. This is not a get rich quick scheme. I know that it's sold on TikTok and Instagram and all the millennials out there selling this thing. Some people think you can borrow against a death benefit, like you can pay $1,000 and borrow against the $600,000 death benefit. That's absolutely not true. But unfortunately, there's people out there willing to make a buck off people's hard earned money and they'll sell it that way. 
Um, but that probably is one of the main thing for real estate investors. Now, in a couple of years, if you put enough cash in, will you have enough to leverage? Absolutely. But um, those are really the only reasons. You can't afford it. You can't medically qualify for the death benefit or you just absolutely, your pants are on fire to put every free dime you have into the next thing in the next year. Those are like the three reasons why people wouldn't do it. And we're not, so typically when you're borrowing, and I do want to have you go through the, the lending aspect of it, but it, it's not like you're putting this money in today and then you're pulling it out tomorrow, right? Like it doesn't work that way. You gotta no. let you you gotta let a little bit of time accrue. Like, what is a realistic timeline before you can put the money in, let it build up some? So again, it's not like you're you know if you had five hundred k of uh, disposable capital, it's not like instead of doing anything else, you're gonna put it all in here and then like right. you gotta you know you're gonna do a portion of that or do it over time, let that build up, let the cash value accrue, um, yep. interest, and then and then at some point like you could potentially leverage this in the future. What is a typical waiting time to be able to for most people? Yeah, so for people with like cash just sitting in the bank, usually I have them just put aside excess money like on a monthly basis to start building the bucket slowly. If you put in enough money up front, I mean, my lady, she was putting in 22 grand a year and she borrowed out $30,000 in three years. And then she took another 20 out the following year. So, I mean, it's, it's not terrible, right? If you can just really understand that it's just another tool in your toolbox. Um, but I mean, at the same token, if you're only putting in, I got a kid who works at Jiffy Lube and he literally just needed to save 250 bucks a month. He said, if you don't take it from me, I'm going to spend it. So sign me up. So he's not going to be leveraging it for real estate this year, next year, in five years. He's going to turn around when he's 65 years old and have $400,000 of tax-free money. So depending on how you fund it, it can be pretty quick. It's just not like this year or next year. So let's get into the leveraging part of it yeah. um, that you wanted to talk about that is not something we've ever talked about with you on the show before. So talk to us a little bit about how one could actually leverage the uh, their life yep. insurance. Cool. So you still want this awesome duplex, which is in a really good part of town here, you can tell. <laughs> and you're funding, you're funding your bucket here with your income while the premium finance, now you have to be able to qualify for this. There's minimum net worth and income requirements. So this is very popular among doctors, attorneys, um, you know, surgeons, those people, dentists with high incomes because they can qualify or higher net worths. But essentially all we're doing as we're trying to fill this bucket is we're gonna borrow money from a bank and have them also contribute to your bucket. So if you're putting in $250,000 a year, and I'm picking that number because it corresponds with the illustration, but whatever that number is, 30,000, 50,000, doesn't matter. What's gonna happen is a bank is gonna come in and match you. So now that thing is gonna get supercharged and your account value is really gonna go up. Again, trade-offs and everything in investing, uh, we're going to owe interest on this money and this money we're not borrowing from ourselves. So we're going to borrow it from the bank. So we're going to owe interest on this money. The nice thing is, is if we're, if we can get a loan at a certain percentage rate, and again, we can make more on that money than we have to pay. Premium finance life insurance can get set up so that you can actually pay the interest back. A lot of times we'll do it partially out of your income and we'll do it partially out of that bucket of money. So on $250,000, if you owe 20 grand in interest that year, maybe we take $10,000 of your earned income, pay the interest, 
maybe we take $10,000 out of your cash value, pay the interest. And then at the end of the funding period, well, if you borrow, I think in the scenario that we'll look at, if you borrow um, a million bucks, and at the end of the funding period, you have $2.1 million or whatever it is, you can actually just stroke a check out of here for a million pay off the principal. And now you've captured all that extra arbitrage, all that extra gains on that borrowed money, you get to keep that. What this is, is this is just an illustration given a bunch of hypotheticals, hypothetical stock market performance, contributions and that kind of thing. And to keep it super high level, cause you're not gonna wanna dig into all this, it'll make your eyes cross. Essentially what's happening is you are contributing to this premium and a bank is contributing to this premium. And out of your money, you're also paying back some interest to the bank. And so for these first four years, you are paying all the interest, but then the interest is gonna accumulate and become more and we're trying to be sensitive to your cash flow. We don't want you to be poor because you're paying interest. So right here, again, we start taking money out of the insurance policy and paying that to the bank to keep your interest to keep your net bank account like steady. And then you can see down here at the end of the funding period, we've borrowed $3 million from the bank. We can actually just take and pay off the principal, but what's left over is this residual $2 million of account value. Whereas if you had just funded it yourself, you would probably only have a million dollars. So now we've paid the interest back to the bank using the life insurance policy. We've paid the principal back using the life insurance policy. And then we get to keep all those excess gains at the end. And on this particular illustration, this was a doctor, a female doctor in the Midwest. She actually wanted to see what her income for life would be. And we were able to turn around and produce her passive income of $250,000 tax-free for the rest of her life. So she'll take that $250,000 tax-free until the day she dies. And when she dies, she'll leave her family $400,000 of tax-free death benefit. So she's, so, she's in, I mean, in that scenario, she's living off of her policy with withdraw, withdrawing it, right? Essentially, yeah, you set your, I mean, it's literally like logging into your own IRA. You just set yourself on auto distributions and they'll just put it in your bank account, like annually or monthly or however. Got it, and then she has the death benefit um, to, to pay. So, but even if you don't do that, basically the concept here is, you're borrowing the money, the bank's money to ultimately that you'll pay back. You'll, you'll pay interest in the meantime, but you, you'll pay back to allow you to have a higher cash value that you can borrow against to invest or just, I guess, do whatever with. Yeah. What is the period of time? And obviously like this is one of these higher level things that you probably, I mean, wouldn't it make sense for a lot of people may for some um, and you'd want to understand all the numbers and look at all the details and like i don't know even what the the loan structure looks like with the bank is this is this a fixed loan is this a short is this a, a terminal like what was it what does a bank financing look like that offers this and what is the um what is the time period of that illustration that you just went through it looked like the bank was contributing for five years and it was paid back in 10 or what was that uh, in, in that one, the bank put in, um, they shared, I think it was $250,000 a year for the first five years and then $60,000 a year for a total of $3 million worth of input from them plus a million dollars of input from the client. So essentially what you're doing is like if they, if they give you a dollar and you make a dollar ten, and then you give that dollar back, you keep the 10 cents. So that's the whole theory behind premium finance 
is just leverage, borrow, make more than you pay, keep the risk, and then pay back that loan. Of course, the risk would be is if you like you got to pay this interest, and that's an expense, right? right? So you're paying it out of your income, yep, as well as taking from the policy sum. So yeah, there's lawyers. You don't do one of these policies. There's lawyers involved. The banks managers are involved. This is not. Hey, if you make a hundred grand a year and you can put a thousand bucks a month in, you're going to have a million dollars after thirty years. But with this type of thing, it's like yeah, there's risk for sure. If the market doesn't perform, like. Bad things can happen, but you know, it's investing. So now is there a, I mean, you mentioned in that example, it was 250 grand. Is there kind of a number where it starts making more sense like per year? Like if you're putting in 20, is it worth it? Or do you need to be at 50 or a hundred or? Honestly, anybody who's going to qualify with their income or their net worth is probably going to be doing six digits or more, most likely. Like if you, right. Um, there's no, there's no minimum or maximum amount, really. It's just, just conceptually and having done these, it's with people who have like first world problems where they're just like, hey, what do I do with this money, right? That's that's usually where we end up doing that kind of thing. So this is a way for them to be a little bit more aggressive to borrow the bank's money, to arbitrage the interest, to ultimately have a higher cash value at some point after paying the bank back with their own money. Yeah. Um, and um, and then be able to use that however. Yep. Fantastic. Well, Chris, really appreciate you joining us today to talk about this. This is definitely one of the aspects that we have not touched into. If you want to you know, get a hold of Chris and if you think this might be for you, or you want to schedule a call with him, head on over to rentretirement.com, click on the about page. You will see his pretty face there with the link to schedule a call with him. That's at renttoretirement.com and then click on the about uh, meet the team page and you'll see it right there. So that's renttoretirement.com. You can also see uh, real estate that you might want to purchase for your own portfolio. Really appreciate the time you spent educating yourself today. Talk to you on the next episode.